Tonight, what are we doing? What are we up to? Well, we're doing a talk on unwanted, intrusive thoughts. And that's always an important topic, is it not? Repetitious, intrusive thoughts are associated not only with chronic stress, anxiety disorders, insomnia, avoidance coping, but also burnout, exhaustion as they use up glutamate. They can exacerbate personality disorders as well as exacerbate chronic stress and so forth. And intrusive, unwanted thoughts are so compelling they can feel impossible to put aside. Why is that? They empath emphasize fears about our safety, the safety of people we love and care about, our sanity. They can come with uh, just repetitive uh, words or troubling visuals. They can question our value and integrity for no reason whatsoever. So what's going on? Why do we have repetitive, intrusive thoughts? So we're going to cover that. And uh, before I do, I just want to say that, why is it that sometimes we can remember things and sometimes we forget? Why is it that if somebody, if you read something right before going to bed, you might very well forget it the next day, even though it was the last thing you were consciously aware of, whereas something that you heard on the radio right before a um, a uh, accident in a car, or on the other hand, uh, during a really positive emotional event, uh, such as the day you meet a person who becomes very important in your life, certain things we learn can be stuck there forever. The function of the hippocampus, which is what lies at the heart of volitional memories that you can recall at will. So if you ever want to learn something, if you ever want to remember something, try to either associate it with a really positive event in your life by bringing to mind something that you really love or someone that you really cherish or some event that was really important. If you hold that in mind while you also try to remember the new information, chances are it'll help your hippocampus lead to that uh, long-term potentiation that helps synaptic clefts learn new information. But you knew all that. So let's jump into why do we have intrusive, repetitive thoughts that won't stop? Well, all of our brains have a very important region called the orbital frontal. And the orbital frontal is what navigates us towards long-term goals. And uh, it's very key to regulating behavior. And um, in conjunction with another region, striatum, the orbital frontal, uh, creates our habits and routines that help us achieve long-term goals. So the things we do every day, whether it's exercise or 
meditate or brush our teeth or whatever we begin to do as a routine to lead us towards long-term positive goals is due to those two regions, the orbital frontal and the striatum. But it's also the job of these two regions to alert us when something goes awry with our plans, when something, a task is incomplete, when something's going to be an obstacle or hindrance to achieving a plan. So what happens then is <coughs> if the amygdala spots a threat to our plans, or if we notice an obstacle, it activates those two regions, the orbital frontal and the striatum, and they start to send repetitive alert thoughts and they focus our attention on a theme. So the very same mechanism that is involved in when we stop and we ask ourselves, uh-oh, did I remember to turn off the oven? Did I for get to bring my mask with me when I left my house? Did I um, forget to put the check in the envelope? Uh, or um, we hear about a problem with an upcoming trip we're planning, the very same mechanism that sends, that stops us in our tracks and starts flooding us with a sudden sense of concern and alert uh, states is the same regions of the brain that create intrusive thoughts. So what happens? Why do these regions that are really in place just to help us navigate through our lives so we can accomplish long-term tasks, go? why do they go awry and start triggering needless repetitive thoughts? Well, Best guess is that sometimes external stimuli um, is similar enough to a past negative event in our life that it activates your fear region of your brain, the amygdala. And the amygdala hijacks the orbital frontal and the striatal, these uh, long-term plan and, and uh, alert circuits, and they create the false sense that something is incomplete, unresolved, or something's going wrong with our plans. And so it triggers a repetitive state of ongoing alert messages, stopping us and bringing our attention again and again and again to a specific thought that's associated with a specific topic. Mm -hmm. Normally, helping us deactivate the amygdala is your good old hippocampus. Your hippocampus is what forms those long-term memories that we talked about. And the hippocampus, which is associated with positive rewards, can stop your amygdala. But when something in our past is so that was really unpleasant is uh, activated, uh, uh, a set of um, uh, memories associated with a trauma or an unpleasant period of our life is now uh, engaged, it activates and keeps activating the amygdala. The amygdala keeps activating the sense that uh, there's something going wrong with our plans, that we're no longer safe, 
and then it triggers those repetitive ideations. Now, it's um, unfortunate that the amygdala has very strong connections with your HPA axis, which creates heart racing, and it creates uh, tensing in your muscles and contraction of your abdominal uh, muscles, and it can it creates a state of uh, tension and uh, stress. And so the thoughts begin to feel very, very real, as real as an impending car crash or um, uh, like, uh, you know, some, some bit of information that is going to really affect our uh, safety, uh, the safety of our loved ones and so forth. Really, all that's happened when we have repetitive, intrusive thoughts, almost invariably, is that some memory in our past has been activated. It triggers your amygdala. It tightens all the muscles, leads to um, fast breathing, clenched muscles, repetitive thoughts. And so it starts to seem like the threat is very, very real because those are the same exact states that happen to us when a real threat is present, when there really is um, a, 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 a rabid animal bearing down on us, or when we have learned that uh, when our boss says, uh, come into my office or whatever, uh, when a real threat is present, it creates the same amygdala activations as when a completely innocent activation of the amygdala happens to activate it. So um, another unfortunate part of the orbital frontal uh, is that it's deeply rooted with the precuneus, which is a region of your brain associated with your sense of self, who you are, your identity. So when the amygdala activates the hippocampus and says, you know, something's wrong, and then the hippocampus believes it and starts with the striatum triggering uh, our attention, narrowing our attention to a topic, and thoughts start. The precuneus alerts our sense of self, our sense of agency, and it's also specifically uh, involved with negative self-ideations. So the more repetitive a thought, the more negative we start feeling about ourselves and our sense of efficacy in the world. Well, that's an unfortunate link up, isn't it? And so the whole combination of the activation of the body, enhanced anxiety, the repetition of the thoughts and the fact that the thoughts activate a sense of self and a sense of uh, one's failure or lack of agency in the world creates this overriding sense that we're really in trouble. And it makes us tend to believe whatever it is that keeps coming up in the middle of the night. Oh, I'm going to get fired. I'm not going to be able to complete this task. Um, something about um, one's loved ones and so forth. So sustained amygdala and orbital frontal activation really uh, negative activates 
our sense of self. And the Buddha, fascinatingly, some 2,500 years ago, noted that self-related thoughts uh, and beliefs, which he called Atava Upadana and Sakaya Didi, and there's no reason to switch on your hippocampus and remember those things are just ancient Pali terms, but they mean thinking about oneself. He said thinking about oneself leads directly to papancha, which is repetition, uh, obsession, uh, intrusive thoughts, and um, stress, dukkha. So he really saw the connection between self-ideations and repetitive ideations way back there and said, one of the first ways to address repetitive thoughts is to, in fact, take the focus off of ourselves and think about other people, not people that we love and care about, because that can trigger the same loop, but just other people in general, people we can help, but are not particularly attached to, because that activates your uh, uh, dorsal medial circuits. And that's another topic. So uh, when we focus on other people, as they say in countless 12-step meetings, it helps reduce obsessive thoughts and helps reduce anxiety, and that is demonstrably true. So <clears throat> continuing on, alert thoughts are not necessarily red flags. They can feel compelling. They can feel as powerful as a real event because you got all the cortisol going, the racing heartbeats as real threats do. So we can be fooled into taking repetitive thoughts seriously, but almost invariably, if something's not actually going on, it simply means that an unconscious memory uh, associated with a previous time we were in danger uh, has been activated, When, it, but in the present, no such threat is actually occurring. Um, the good news is, is that repetitive thoughts, while they can lead to an inhibition of impulse-controlled speech, they don't generally lead to a loss of motor control. Why is that important? Um, uh, people who have violent intrusive thoughts of harming others or harming self might be concerned that that means they might actually follow through with that plans, those plans, but actually there's very little indication that um, there's any loss of impulse control when it comes to actually following through with these ideations. It simply, in fact, locks us into a stressed out, inhibited state where we feel completely without uh, agency. And while sometimes we can utter things that uh, we shouldn't, it very rarely leads to a loss of um, impulse control in uh, the behavioral motor, uh, pre and supplementary motor cortexes. Now, if somebody has a real extensive action plan of how they're going to harm themselves or others, where they really have a step-by-step -step plan along with images and all that, that means the pre and supplementary motor cortexes might have 
be readied for those actual uh, behaviors. And that's when we should really become concerned when people have uh, real uh, sequential step-by-step uh, plans to do something harmful. Now, of course, we should always be concerned when there's repetitive thoughts, but really we become concerned when they have a concrete plan. Now, there's some techniques that people try to do to re regulate intrusive repetitive thoughts that do not work whatsoever. So don't try them because they won't work. The most uh, commonly misguided attempt to regulate intrusive repetitive thoughts is uh, trying to suppress them by pushing them down, pushing them out of one's mind, trying not to think about them. It doesn't work. The great psychologist Dan Wegner, who wrote the book uh, White Bears, showed that when you tell people uh, not to think about white polar bears, uh, white bears, polar bears, uh, they actually think about them twice as often than if you give them permission to think about white bears. So why is this? Why is it when we try to stop thinking about something, we think about it more? Why is it when we try to stop thinking about an upcoming job interview or upcoming time we have to give a talk in public or uh, something that we've done that uh, <coughs> um, might be a mistake or something that someone said to us that was uh, difficult to understand or might have been an insult? Why do we uh, why is it that when we try to stop thinking about these things, they keep coming up more and more often? Well, Wegner showed that there's something called an ironic process, which is that um, uh, when we try to push away a thought, uh, we create an unconscious system. Uh, I think is thinking that it's in the dorsal frontal region of the brain, but we create an unconscious system checking for the thoughts. Is that thought that I'm not supposed to be thinking actually present? And that process actually brings the very thought it's been told to monitor, it actually brings it to mind. Why is this? Well, it turns out that setting up an unconscious process to monitor whether a thought is present or not increases cognitive load which uh, leads to too much neural activation. And eventually the unconscious process, worrying, am I thinking this thought, starts to overtake the conscious processes and we can't think about anything else, but am I thinking this thought? So the first thing to do is don't try to suppress a thought. It'll only uh, bite you on your new, on your nether regions. So, um, on the other hand, there's another way that people try to regulate intrusive thoughts that doesn't work. And that's called seeking reassurance. We try to, uh, when we fear something bad will happen, uh, that will, uh, be kicked out of school, a job that will, uh, that somebody doesn't truly love us or will abandon us, we can seek reassurance from people. 
And this creates an addictive need for reassurance. We sometimes in the therapeutic landscape called reassurance junkies. Well, the problem is that being reassured actually doesn't in any way alleviate the unconscious memories that lie at the heart of repetitive thoughts. It doesn't alleviate them at all. So uh, trying to reassure ourselves by focusing consciously on people saying, but that's not going to happen, or even telling ourselves it's not going to happen, generally just leads to a lot of wasted energy. This is also why reality testing techniques and cognitive behavioral therapy can work in the short term, but rarely, rarely, if ever, work in the long term in reducing repetitive anxiety-related ideations. So we've talked about two of the most common ways trying to alleviate uh, thoughts that don't triggering repetitive thoughts that don't work, which is trying to suppress them or trying to seek reassurance that they won't happen. But what do we do? How do we reduce these unpleasant, uh, unwanted thoughts from continually bombarding us at two o'clock in the morning, keeping us wide awake, leading us to distraction? Um, I'm going to give you some examples of new techniques and old techniques. Um, to give you an example, by the way, of how an underlying uh, unconscious memory can uh, trigger repetitive thoughts, I'm going to talk about an example from my own life, because that's the safest thing to disclose. I don't want to disclose anybody else's uh, challenging repetitive thoughts. So we'll work with my own. And uh, a while back, several years ago, I got a uh, message about jury duty. And if you're an honorary New Yorker, I'm a lifelong New Yorker, you know, it's your fundamental reason of being to avoid jury duty at all costs. It's unpleasant. And nobody wants to do it, especially New Yorkers. So anyway, um, I started to have, though, uh, these repetitive thoughts over and over again that I would be stuck, I wouldn't be able to get out, I would be kept in jury duty for weeks on end. I started to have repetitive thoughts of myself pleading with a judge not to, <laughs> not to put impanel me on a jury and so forth. And I kept on trying to uh, remove the thoughts and nothing was working. And then finally, I, through a lot of uh, mindfulness and uh, some basic uh, associative practices, I became, I realized that the reason why this uh, was so triggering is that it, um, activated an old unconscious memory from the past of the times in childhood where my parents, my father specifically, would tell me that I would have to do something that felt nonsensical, meaningless, and felt almost punishing. And But there would never be any way for me to logically get out of it, and it would always be 
uh, unendurably painful for me. And somehow in my mind, receiving the jury duty summons reminded me of those, those unconscious memories of being um, essentially sent one of those messages from my dad that I had to do something that I didn't want to do. And so once I realized that it wasn't the present jury duty that was really that scary, it was simply that it activated an unconscious memory from the past that was still unresolved. Once I realized that and I showed myself the difference between the two the two events that they were separated by decades and that in fact jury duty, jury duty generally only lasts for a couple of days before you're excused and so forth that all of the repetitive thoughts went away because I became aware of the unconscious memory that was activating the amygdala and so on and so forth. If you have a disproportionate reaction to a present event, like getting a jury duty summons, then it must be activating something that's very, very old, that's associated with a significant emotional wound is being activated. And now the brain is split. The left hemisphere knows we're in 2021 and that it's just a jury duty summons, but the right hemisphere is now living in the past when I was a kid and my father would say, uh, this weekend we're going to do something that I like and you hate, like camping or something like that. So knowing that, I then practiced, I know that there was something unconscious present. So then what I did is I started free associating. Um, I started just saying, what does this remind me of without any uh, rational overlay? I just started just, just trying to cast out and open that. What does this remind me of? What is this feeling this experience remind me of. And I just, sometimes I'll like write it out spontaneously longhand. Sometimes I'll just open my mind and see what pops up. And a couple of things popped up like previous times I had jury duty summons, but then out of the blue, the memory of my dad. And it was funny because I had in my mind in the repetitive thought, this older male judge who would not let me off jury duty, no matter how much I protested. And then my father kept came up and I realized, oh, well, this visualization or this imagination of this male judge figure who's not letting me off the hook, of course, it's my dad. It's just a present representation of my dad. That's what it's reminding me of. So once I had the unconscious memory that had been activated and I became aware of it like that. It was uh, as if I pulled a splinter out or something like that. The pain just of it, the repetitiveness of it just almost immediately that very moment, I knew I was onto something because once you get to the underlying cause, the present becomes far less sticky. And I see this all the time in counseling when um, individuals who've been through a breakup, 
they've had a couple of dates, they thought things were going well, and then suddenly the person ghosts them or uh, out of the blue ends the attachment. And there's a lot of repetitive negative self-oriented thoughts, like I'm never going to find love. This is, I should just give up. I'm always going to be alone, et cetera, et cetera. And so clearly the disproportionate response to the event clearly indicates that the breakup has activated uh, a series of abandonments from the past. And once we become aware of that, then the stickiness about the present experience begins to evaporate and we can now focus on regulating the emotional pain associated with the real traumas of real abandonments in the past. So this is why certain types of talk therapy have been shown to be pretty effective in reducing repetitive ideations because once we become aware of the unconscious memory that's been at, that lies at the heart, of the triggered amygdala, then we can actually soothe, uh, show the right hemisphere that those events are no longer happening in the present. And that tends to be a very powerful tool in extinguishing intrusive thoughts. Other techniques, don't push away the thoughts, don't try to suppress them, label them. In the neuropsychologist um, Jeffrey Schwartz's work, he showed that when people with OCD, which is very, very similar to intrusive thoughts, uh, start to experience their symptoms, they should repeat, it's not me, it's my OCD, to remind them that it's not really true, it's just a malfunctioning circuit in their brain. So if you'd like, when an intrusive thought comes up, disidentify with it, remind yourself that it's simply a misfiring circuit and say, it's not me, it's my OFC. What's OFC? It's your orbital frontal cortex. <laughs> you knew that. Anyway, or you could simply say, hello, misfiring circuit. Other techniques that work, make an agreement to delay thinking about the thought for a short duration. So say, okay, I see that I want to think about uh, something that uh, is disturbing. I'll give myself the permission to think about it in one minute from now. And then put a timer and then just focus on something else. And then when the minute comes back, allow yourself to think about it. Actually, it turns out that uh, delayed thinking re-engages your orbital frontal to healthy functioning and re-engages the hippocampus and helps, it helps uh, regulate the amygdala and helps diminish the repetition of the thoughts. If you can put ever increasing durations between postponing the thought and then actually allowing yourself to think about it, over time, it strengthens back the orbital frontal to override the uh, malfunctioning triggering. Another technique is writing it out longhand. The studies of Pennebaker have shown that when we write out repetitive, intrusive thoughts longhand, 
it can diminish those thoughts significantly because for some reason it tricks your brain into thinking you've actually taken agency you've done something and when you take an action actually it helps once again strengthen the orbital frontal back to normal functioning um, hippocampal circuits can extinguish fear memories so how does that work well suppose in a study you uh every time on a computer screen you flash a red x you give someone a mild shock well that's unpleasant and it turns out that pretty soon when you show the red x even if you don't give the uh, participant a shock they'll still have a shock reaction in their body because they've learned that red x equals a shock but what happens if when you next show the red x you then give them a hershey's kiss or a, a m m or a, you give them uh some piece of chocolate that's rewarding well very quickly the hippocampus which remembers positive events will erase the negative association uh, so positive rewards help extinguish repetitive thoughts if you want when you have a topic that's triggering repetitive intrusive thoughts instead try to link that topic up with a reward so for example if somebody's moving and they're dreading moving and they're thinking about all the things that could go wrong missing or go missing or be damaged while moving or how uh bad moving can be and it triggers lots of uh uh, intrusive thoughts and insomnia and stress, if they train themselves to actually visualize all of the positive rewards that could be accrued by moving, and they keep ingraining that into the uh, this striatal loop, eventually what happens is we extinguish the amygdala activation and the topic becomes now something that's associated with reward. And this is very, has been shown by a wide variety of behavioral tests that simply associating topics with rewards, positive outcomes, extinguishes underlying fear activation, fear memories, and then helps regulate your amygdala. Now, finally, the Buddha, Da Buddha, uh, had three uh, tools that uh, we had many tools for regulating intrusive, repetitive thoughts. They're all, if you'd like to check them out, in a sutta called uh, Vitaka Santana. Santana, it's the removal of obsessive thoughts sutta. That's literally the translation. So it's pretty easy to find on Sutta Central or Access to Insight. And I'm just going to read a few of them very quickly. Uh, when unskillful thoughts arise, one should reflect on a different topic, which is connected with something useful. And the Buddha says, much like an experienced carpenter would use a sturdy peg to knock out a damaged peg, we use a skillful thought to knock out an unskillful thought. Now, this, it turns out, is very, very true. 
Let's remember the studies with Dan Wagner and the polar bears. When Dan Wagner said, don't think about polar bears, people thought about polar bears twice as often. But in the same study, he said, if you want, think about red Volkswagens. And lo and behold, when people thought about red Volkswagens, it turned out they stopped thinking about polar bears altogether. Simply associating or bringing to mind repetitively another thought is one of the most immediately useful tools in the short term of knocking out an obsessive ideation. It won't work in the long term because if an unconscious anxiety memory has been activated, eventually the amygdala will keep sending it back up. But for the short term, it can really help us regulate intrusive thoughts. Second tool the Buddha mentions is if unskillful thoughts continue to arise, if I recall, he said, one should reflect on the disadvantages of such thoughts, how they only lead to distress. Now, this is known today as metacognition, which is analyzing one's thoughts from the outside. You don't try to suppress the thought. You simply ask yourself, for example, would I tell a friend who is in the exact same situation that I'm in the exact same thoughts that I'm thinking? The answer is generally no. The thoughts I'm thinking, which are catastrophizing, are extremely negative and comparing myself with others, saying that I'm failing, saying that other people are doing life better, saying that I don't have enough, thoughts on lack of agency and so forth. I would never go around following a friend and knocking on their shoulder and say, hey, you, you're failing at life. So the metacognitive strategy of simply asking ourselves, is this a thought I would say to anyone else, even someone I didn't like very much, is an excellent way to stand outside of the repetitive thought and analyze it for its disadvantages. Another technique that was taught to me by a Buddhist monk uh, that I had the good fortune to, be, to study with uh, many years ago, he used to say, ask yourself, if this was the very last thought I had, would I be happy with the way my life came to a conclusion? And of course, Buddhists ask themselves all this, this all the time because part of the Buddhist practice is the recognition of the inherent fragility of life and how death could happen anytime and to orient our actions towards, is this the last action I would ever want to have? So the idea, is this the last thought I would ever want to have, is another good way to step outside and lead to metacognition. And finally, if unskillful thoughts continue to arise, one should focus on reducing the stress that underlies the formation of the thoughts. Now, here's the, the Buddha's getting right to the heart, that beneath all repetitive thoughts, there's unconscious anxiety because some memory or something in the present has remind, reminded us of something unpleasant from our past. And the Buddha suggests to uh, one of the, the most efficient ways is to address the underlying physical 
stress and anxiety as a way to reduce the repetitive repetitiveness of the thoughts. So he continues by saying, suppose a stressed individual was walking needlessly quickly. They might reflect, I'm stressed and I'm walking quickly. Why don't I relax and slow down? And then they might consider, do I even need to walk at all? Maybe I should just stand still. And then they might even note, maybe I should lie down. And in so doing, they can put aside the repetitive thoughts. What the Buddha <coughs> is saying is the more we reduce somatic stress in the body, the more it will send up some nice messages uh, via the vagus nerve and the insula, which will inform the brain that nothing is going on in the body, therefore there can't be a real threatening event happening presently, and that will help deactivate your amygdala. So yes, one of the most effective tools when we have repetitive thoughts is focusing on breathing or focusing on softening your body or focusing on a soothing image. Good old Dan Wagner of the Polar Bears noted in the conclusion of his work that ongoing mindfulness meditation significantly reduces intrusive thoughts because it strengthens our hippocampus and helps extinguish fear. So that's what we're going to do right now. We're actually going to extinguish the fear circuits of the brain, deactivate the amygdala, and help set up the neural mechanisms that will alleviate intrusive, repetitive thoughts. So find a really comfortable seated position and If you'd like to support my work, which is offered to you entirely by donation, everything I do, my counseling, my teaching, uh, <clears throat> it's a crazy model, but I'm doing it that way, have been for the last 15, 16 years. So um, if you'd like to support the work, the uh, Venmo's Dharma Punks with an X NYC or you can avail yourself of the PayPal button on the podcast website or the Dharma Punks NYC website. So thanks for that. And now let's put some of these practices into play. Closing the eyes. And try to just for a moment shrug off all of those ideas. If you had your hippocampus working, uh, you'll remember the important ones. And just bringing all of our awareness into the body and find the most soothing sensation that's happening internally. If there's something getting in the way of finding a soothing sensation, like a, a strain, an ache, or something, clothes that are too tight, take a moment to address those uh, obstacles, hindrances to our practice. And
So find the most soothing sensation in your body. And if it's in the palms of your hands or the eyes or the forehead or in the heart center, even if it's very small, see if you can with each in-breath spread this soothing sensation throughout your body. And with the exhalation, try to release any tension, tightness. Slowing down the pace of the in-breath and inclining the exhalation to be as long as the in-breath. We want your parasympathetic nervous system to be engaged. And that's another excellent way to help regulate your fear centers of your brain and Strengthen your amygdala, I mean your hippocampus. Oops, your hippocampus. Softening the muscles in the belly, and if it, which is really uh, excellent. And uh, if you'd like, Lifting and rotating back your shoulders, opening up the chest, making it easier for the breath energy to move through the body and for the lungs to have lots of room to bring in the vital oxygen that keeps us alive. Every time a thought uh, snags your attention, much like uh, bait snags the attention of a fish, 
um, relax, open back up to the actual sensations that are present around you, the sounds or the body sensations that are pleasant. Take a really um, full, long, rewarding in-breath, and then as you breathe out, allow an unforced, if possible, smile. Associate coming back to the present with reward. It'll make you more likely to come back again and again and again with ease. Now, if some repetitive thought keeps activating, let's use one of the Buddha's tools and replace that unskillful thought with a skillful reflection, such as, may all beings be happy, peaceful, and free of stress repeating that phrase over and over while we breathe slowly. May all beings be free of suffering and stress or one could simply think the thought, I love you, keep going. Or in one of the core Buddhist refuges, Buddha Nusati, just bring to mind the image of a Buddha-like figure, someone associated with wisdom, friendliness, well-being, unconditional, welcoming. Just visualize this figure. Staying present is made easier by widening the circle of attention sometimes to all the present time sensations that can anchor you to what's actually occurring. So not just being aware 
of the breath in the body, maybe also hearing the sounds surrounding you, or the contact sensations with the cushion, chair, couch, whatever you're seated upon. Another wonderful technique is trying to settle the eyes behind closed eyelids. When the eyes settle, the orbital, I'm sorry, the um, the circuits that engage uh, very uh, glutamate intensive regions of the brain begin to settle as well. Occipital lobe, that's what I was trying to think of, as well as fusiform. In other regions, so settling the eyes, the mind settles as well. So if you'd like now, bring to mind some kind of, some uh, topic that is often associated with repetitive concerns, repetitive thoughts, some topic that's unresolved, something that may be a thought that uh, often has been associated with worry and intrusiveness. 
And you'll notice when you bring to mind a thought that's often when it comes uninvited, when we're ambushed by the thought, it can be very difficult and overwhelming. But when we consciously bring it to mind, we immediately make it easier to regulate. This is because we've already engaged regions of the brain associated with inhibition. So bring to mind a thought that in the middle of the night can keep you up. But now if you bring it up consciously, you're concerned about a relationship, uh, an upcoming event, and just hold the image in mind. And then an image associated with the mind. And then if a thought associated with this challenging, difficult topic comes to mind, let's practice what the Buddha called reflecting on the disadvantages or what today we call metacognition. Just why you Bring to mind some of the thoughts that this topic activates, some of the most unpleasant, catastrophizing, worrying thoughts. Just stand outside them and ask yourself, would I tell a friend going through the same, facing the same challenges, these thoughts? Would I share these thoughts with them? Or would I tell them something different than what I'm telling myself? Or we could ask, does this thought make it more likely? Oh, do something positive and help myself feel prepared? Or does this kind of thought just beat me down and make it less likely that I'll have any energy left to take positive steps? And finally, with this or another disturbing topic, challenging topic in mind, and if you can remember some of the intrusive thoughts it activates, that's fine. Just note them and then bring your attention to your belly while this topic is present in your mind and begin to soften your belly and take really long, smooth exhalations, long exhalations, soothing the body fabrication as the Buddha would call it. 
And you'll notice that if your body is really relaxed, if your breath is not hyperventilating, but breathing below 72 beats per minute, that suddenly the thoughts become much easier to just allow, but not become glued or fixed to them. Your amygdala and the stickiness of thoughts depends on your body being tight and tense and contracted. But if you keep your body relaxed, if you keep the breath very long, the thoughts themselves become far less sticky because the regions making them feel real is inhibited. Okay, so at this time, I'm going to ring the bowl and whenever you feel ready, just slowly open your eyes and just allow yourself to become aware of the sensations surrounding you. <laughs> 